Welcome to the Top Order podcast. In an intro clearly written by Stuart Lipshaw, we have our next guest on the podcast, a stellar career for the mighty, mighty Rickerton. That is in exclamation marks. During which time he also played 200 games for Canterbury and five tests for New Zealand. Gary Stead has gone on to coach at the highest level, first with the White Ferns and now in his current role with the Black Caps. To say that his first 18 months in the role have been eventful is something of an understatement. Starting with the first away test series win against Pakistan in 49 years to the most recent ODI game in Sydney without fans, a few super overs in between. There's no shortage of talking points. So Gary, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, Thanks for having me. Look, it's absolutely our pleasure. Thanks very much for joining us. It's obviously a strange time for the world right now. I guess from a cricketing perspective, has this lockdown given you the opportunity to sit back and do some reflection on what's happened since you took the role with the Black Caps? Even as an Englishman looking from the outside, it feels like a lot's unfolded in a short space of time for you. Yeah, it has in some ways. Um, I mean, it's probably... We, we we were due to have our end of season sort of time off and that anyway, and the guys are all on leave at the moment. Um, but I guess for me, I probably would have been back at work getting ready for reviews or the next tour. Um, but it's been a good good chance to actually spend some time at, at home with the family as well. And I guess it's one of the things as an international coach, it's uh, there's always some an element of sacrifice that has to be made, and, and unfortunately, that's the family uh, and and I think the first year of the job, I think I was away for 36 of those weeks. So, I mean, it, it takes a toll on them. So spending some time with them has been pretty cool as well. Well, Steady, we'll, we'll get into some of that Black Cat stuff a little bit later. But but first, I'm pretty keen to go down a trip down memory lane and, and talk about the start of your, your cricketing life. I yeah, promised the guys that I wouldn't spend the whole time talking about cricketing, but um, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see what we can do there. Um, but but cricket's always been a big part of your life for you, right? Yeah, it has. Yeah, I was brought up in a in a cricket family, I suppose. Uh, dad played Dad played for Rickerton and then for Canterbury for about sixteen years, and for as long as I can remember, we were we were brought up on an orchard, so we brought up throwing apples around and throwing at trees and. Um, and then I, I remember that, and I, I remember being at Lancaster Park watching Dad and. Like like many young young children, um, one of the things that I wanted to to, to do was you, you want to be like your old man, and and so that was it was nice that when I did get that opportunity, that I guess we managed to do that, and yeah, so that I guess that my my earliest memories anyway, Stewie was was being on the orchard throwing apples around, and and yeah, being down at Lancaster Park. Can you tell us a bit about your dad's career? I had a little bit of a look, and he, he averaged 25 with the bat, just under 30 with the ball, 80 first-class games for Canterbury. You know, people have said that he's a bit of a legend at, at Rickerton. Was he ever close to New Zealand selection? He he got selected as a 12th man once, uh, oh, yeah. but didn't actually. Yeah, but didn't didn't make the playing um, 11. So he was a he was a leg spinner uh, and batted anywhere from the the very top of the order down to the middle order as well, left hand bat. Uh, nuggety, nuggety sort of player, and yeah, I mean he was a, he was a, I guess a good solid person. Anyone that has a career that long at first class cricket, uh, first class cricket's obviously done a pretty good job. And yeah, I remember the days of being down there, or if he was on a, on a, 
away game, tuning in on the radio and listening into it, which uh, which seemed like long, 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 long time ago now. Yeah. And and so you were in and around those Canterbury dressing rooms as a youngster. I mean, he must have played with the Hadleys and, and a lot of big names back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they used to have, uh, what I remember, they used to have like after-match functions up in the number two stand. There, there was a big uh, sort of glass sort of um, enclosure and that up there. And I remember uh, going and, and just playing down on the main field and getting going into the in the dressing rooms, as you say, and, and the Hadleys and um, the, the likes of those guys were, were all part of um, Dad's team there as well at, at Canterbury. And and did you, um, and we haven't mentioned your brother Wayne, also had a, a, a decent career as well. And, and did you, Wayne and, and your dad, ever play in the same team at, at Rickerton? Yeah, yeah, we did. We had about, oh, I don't know exactly, we might have had four or five years playing together in uh, senior cricket. So nice. that, that was something that was very, very special as well. And, mm. uh, dad, dad played till he was nearly 50 at senior cricket. Which was pretty, which was pretty cool, and um, I, I do remember actually being captain when he was in the team and managing to, I guess, tell him what to do at times was <laughs> was, was pretty nice for me as well because it was usually the other way around. Yeah, yeah. I read I read an article from from many years ago about um, your family. Um, Tim Murdoch sent it to me, and, and it described you as as a good leg spinner. What what happened with the spin there? Well, um, yeah, it's actually how I started. Right through, I guess, all the underage teams and, and, and growing up, I, I started as a leg spinner that used to bat sort of in the middle order. And I was always a handy enough batsman, but it was my spin bowling that, um, I guess, took me places early on. And, and, yeah, I guess I got to early 20s and bowled a few overs for Canterbury, but was never never the number one spinner or anything like that. We had Mark Priest and... Mm. Uh, and he was he was a uh, outstanding at the time. So didn't used to bowl a lot, and still wheeled them down a wee bit in club cricket. But the more you played for Canterbury, I guess the less sort of opportunity you got to bowl as well. And probably if there was one one regret in my my career is that I, I probably gave that that side of things away a little bit too too easily. And uh, I guess you look at the multi-skilled cricketers and. Um, some of the places you go now to be able to wheel down a few leg spinners and that would would be pretty cool. But yeah, I did bowl I did bowl one uh, one over in Test cricket that I've leg spin, which was quite nice. Mm, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Um, <laughs> who 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 was it against? Uh, South Africa, my first day of Test cricket actually uh, oh, yeah. at Lancaster Park. So um, Dion Nash, I think, gave me the the last over of the day or second to last over of the day, and um, bowling to Gary Kirsten and Herschel Gibbs. So. Mm. Yeah, remember it fondly. Didn't get a wicket, but I only went for one as well. Yeah, nice. So that that same article that I mentioned, it, it mentioned that you scored your first Canterbury hundred batting at nine in a Shell Cup semi. Were you were you picked as as an all rounder then? Um, uh, from memory, uh, I played I played my first match of the season uh, and didn't didn't get that many. Went up to. Uh, Wellington and I was made 12th man for the next game and I actually broke my arm uh, in the nets and um, just we were actually just mucking around a bit and I went to catch the ball instead of hitting it and, and I was going to throw it up and hit it and I ended up missing swinging past me hitting my wrist and breaking my wrist and it put me out for three or four weeks and uh, came back scored a scored a club hundred and then got called in to the the semi-final and, and yeah you're right I was batting at nine 
uh, versus Central Districts at Lancaster Park, and I scored. I scored. Uh, I think it was 113 not out, um, batting from there, and then got dropped for the final. So it was a <laughs> uh, a nice way to, uh, I guess, to be introduced into the Canterbury scene. So it was good to score 100, but it was also the reality of the the team we had at the time had a number of New Zealand guys come back, and um, it was a very very hard thing to to break into. So. I guess when I look back on my career now, I, I think of some of those those guys that played, and um, yeah, to play to play a hundred first class games and and to play a hundred list A games was 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 pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean that side, the the likes of you know Astle, Fleming, Cairns, McMillan, Harris, you know all the names just the list just goes on. I mean heaps of people I remember having to move away from from Canterbury to get a first class crack. Was there something about Canterbury cricket that made it such an amazing breeding ground at that time, or was it just sort of one of those things that kind of happens? Um, we had uh, we had exceptional wickets to train on, so we we used to train out the back of Lancaster Park at the time on the on the number two ground. We often got four nets at a time, which is which is pretty unusual even now, um, and they were the highest quality. They were they were good quick wickets. I guess it just lifted the the level of intensity and ability to train at a at a very high intensity as well and so but when you train around those guys and and they're all like there's, there's some there's some names that you've mentioned and some of them have got pretty big egos and that as well they want to be the best and so it drives that competitiveness I think throughout the team and we we had a very very successful period from the 90s right through to the 2000 really where we won quite a few titles and across there wasn't T20 cricket then, but one day and four day cricket, and it was uh, yeah, it was it was really nice to be part of. We we had Dennis Aberhart as was my coach, David Trist leading up to that. But yeah, as you say, there was a there was a number of names, seven or eight names that played for New Zealand at any given time. So we were a we were a, I guess a, a good team. Mm. And I mean, what what did it mean to to captain Canterbury a bit later on in, in that sort of time? Yeah, that was that was good. I was actually probably thrust into it a little bit earlier than what I expected, and um, we had some some pretty senior guys playing that that may have may have deserved it, probably possibly more than me. But um, I guess the the coaches and that saw something in in me in the the tactical side of the game. I mean, I've always been a really good watcher of the game and love talking about it, and and um, I guess trying to trying to work out opposition and, and how, how, you can, how you can get them out and, and win games when you shouldn't win games and that, that sort of thing always was exciting to me. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it, was, it was pretty good. I, I've got a terrible first-class record as a, as a captain, though. I know that for sure. Um, oh, no. Possibly the worst in Canterbury history. But uh, we also went through a, a very much a rebuilding phase as well when, when a lot of the guys sort of retired and... And went up to New Zealand duty, so um, no, it was it was pretty special. And, and a couple of other things that I discovered, I discovered that you kept wicket in a Shell Cup final. Yeah, I did. Um, got a got a catch with the first uh, ball I was keeping as well. Nice. So Lee, Lee Jamon was captain, and he um, he he uh, dislocated his shoulder from memory uh, and had to go off and. So I, I pulled the gloves on, and Chris Cairns was was bowling, and um, Matthew Hart from Northern Districts he nicked the nicked the first one, and I sprawled across and managed to to catch it. So really? yeah, that was that was pretty good. And I I filled in a couple of times just uh, 
we actually went through a wee phase when Darren Rickers was playing for Canterbury that he would often keep and also bowl turnovers. And so <laughs> when he would come on to bowl, then I would often just grab the gloves for a period of time and, and then he would put them back on again. So I guess that, that's, I guess, trying to take trying, part of trying to take the game forward and think how we could uh, be a little bit more innovative in that with things. So that was, that was one of the ideas we came up with at the time. And um, bit of a frivolous question, but do you still have any of those long sleeve Canary ODI tops, those classic shirts? <laughs> Uh, in this lockdown period, Stewie, we actually uh, cleaned out the loft the other day yeah. and uh, went through and found a number of uh, uh, of them there and a few New Zealand jumpers and things like that as well. So that was, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. We gave them all a good wash and packed them away again. So yeah. one day when I buy a bigger house or, or get a wee games room or something, I might hang them up there. And, uh, yeah, you, I guess you reminisce in, in those times, but... Looking back, I couldn't believe how big they used to put our shirts yeah. that that we were in. They were they were enormous. So either that, or I've actually shrunk a lot. <laughs> but but you've got the Rickett and Baggy on the mantelpiece, though, obviously. Yeah, have got that, mate. I mean, Rickett and Cricket Club was really special. I I, I went there. Uh, well, I started there as as a junior. Um, so playing when I was still at primary school. Um, and then the, that, that sort of disbanded for a while after that. But I came back and started playing for Rickett in my, uh, it was my last year of, of high school. Uh, so I must have been 16 or 17. Um, and played there my whole career and um, played senior cricket right through. I, I had a couple of uh, seasons at the very end of my career when I played a little bit of second grade. And that was more to mm. try and just give back to some of the, the younger guys and, I remember when it sort of happened, actually, there was a, a young guy in the nets who I, I, I watched batting and and I thought, well, geez, he's good enough to be playing senior cricket or I, I don't want to be holding him up anymore. And and that player was Cole McConkie and he's now mm. Canterbury captain as well. And um, so I said, I said oh, I'll go back and play a bit of second grade and captain them and try and help them out learning a wee bit. So I had a couple of years sort of doing that as well. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I, I'd love to keep playing and, and doing it, but when you when you go down that coaching route, then you can't do both. Mm. And and with the Canary stuff, I mean, did you ever sort of feel like you know why isn't it my crack for a, for a go at the top level? The New Zealand, you mean? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, um, well, with all those big names in there, and nah, not really. I mean, I. I to be honest, I never really, I, I never expected to play for New Zealand at all. I, I saw the calibre of players around and um, the likes of your Flemings and Astles and, and uh, Harrises and Cairns and McMillans are guys that I'd sort of played with right through and they they had had reasonably successful international careers. So the only the only way I think I really got the um, the opportunity to play for New Zealand was was when there was injuries to others and that's. That's how it happened. My my first uh, my first test, I think both Fleming and McMillan were both out, and then when I was called back to to India as well, McMillan broke a finger. So that that was sort of the opportunities, and they were they were pretty brief. I mean, I only I only had five test matches, but um, I mean it's something that that yeah, it's something you can be enormously proud of. I think to to get that far, and 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 as I said, it's something I didn't really expect to to ever get there. You um you held your own though. I mean, you scored a couple of fifties. I mean, did it like by the end of it? Did you feel like it's a bit rough that I'm being dropped here? 
Um, not really. I mean, I did. I did okay. I, I was. I'm, yeah, I was proud of the way I, I played. I, I fought hard. I guess my. I think my test um, average is actually better than my first class average. So, and we played some. We played some good teams as well. Uh, South Africa on on debut. I mean, they had a. They had a bowl, um, a bowling attack, which was possibly the best in the world at the time. Certainly, the pace bowling with Donald and Pollock, Callis and, and Klusner. So, that was um, that was pretty cool to say that you've you sort of faced up and played against them, and and then playing India and in, in India, and you have the I guess guile of a Kumble and, and Harbhajan Singh bowling at you as well, and. Um, yeah, I mean that was that was also an, an amazing experience. That yeah, they they can't sort of take those those moments away from you as well. And and I, I cherish those times. And even now as a as a Black Caps coach and that as well, you when people get opportunities, you you know how special and and important it is. And and I only look back at my own career, and it was it was a brief one uh, at that at that I guess international level, but. Um, I guess it it gave me an insight into what what was the I guess level of commitment and and the level of play that was required, um, and what you needed to do to be to be successful there as well. So yeah, I, I'm proud of the way I played. I'm proud of the way I fought. And but as I said right from the start, and I, I didn't really expect it because I probably wasn't as good as the other players that were around me. And Gary, you opened the batting in in India. How did that come about? Because early in your career, did you just kind of stick your hand up and say, "Yeah, I'll have a, have a crack at that"? What was the story behind that? No, it's a it's a good question. I actually I, I started taking my batting a little bit more seriously um, in 1990. I uh, happened to go to Lords as a as a MCC young cricketer, um, and they actually had eight spinners on the on the ground staff there. Uh, so. I, I stuck my hand up then and said oh, I'll bat bat number three, and I tried to to get as high as I can just to increase the, my skills and that as well. But then, back playing for Canterbury, a lot of the time I, I batted in the middle order at four or five, and um, it was quite ironic when I got called to India. Uh, I, I I replaced Craig McMillan, who who broke broke his finger, um, and I hadn't been opening at all. Uh, I'd been batting in the middle, and and I was at the time. Uh, they got over there and I was rooming with Matthew Bell um, and they actually dropped Matthew and, and opened with me in that test match, which was a wee bit awkward and they could have done that better if they thought about it again. Um, but yeah, for, from that time after that test match and, and I guess I, I got, I, I got 15, I think in 78 or something like that. And I, I started to think, well, maybe this is the only opportunity there is that's at the top of the order. And, so I tried to to take it a lot more seriously then and and work harder as a, I guess securing my 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 spot as a top order bat. But I was 27 then, so it wasn't like um, I was young and just on the scene. I'd actually been playing a lot of cricket in the middle order, so it was something new and I guess something that was a, a challenge to me as well. Gary, as a fellow leg spinner, did it make it any easier for you to pick? Anil Kumble or, or Harbhajan Singh out of the hand. I mean, Kumble's got one of the best wrongs to ever been bowled in Test cricket. Did being a leg spinner make that any easier for you? I think you know what you're looking for, um, so no doubt about it that that I think that can help. But I also remember being a leg spinner and and you bowl to wicket keepers and and you think at times, um, oh well, there's no point bowling a wrong in too much because 
they'll see it all the time and you get amazed at times at the at, I guess the the people that that don't read it that you think should um so Harbinger, um Anil Kumble was interesting. He was very, very quick through the air. And I remember once trying to go down and sweep him and it sort of hit me in the pad before I'd even sort of halfway got down and lucky it was it was drifting down leg. But he was very quick through the air. So you almost played him as a as a little wee in swinger as opposed to a um as opposed to a big leg spinner. And then if it did rag and go past your bat then you could sort of just live with yourself and say, okay, well, that's that's going to happen. But no, it was it was cool. And um, Habashan, he was yeah, he was he was a very clever bowler as well, and very deceptive through the year. Um, and then of course Tendulkar, that was his period. He bowled a little bit of leg spin at me as well uh, in that Test match, which was which was again pretty nice to to be able to say you've played against a, a master like him. And talking about playing with those kind of masters, we spoke actually with Doug Cowie a few weeks ago, and he said he never really allowed himself to look at that sort of masterful batting or bowling performance. You saw Tendulkar, I think, score a double hundred. Was there any yeah. any time where you were just sitting going, you know, this is great watching this guy bat, or were you sort of so focused on on wanting to get him out? Well, I, being the young, well, new guy to the team and that as well, I was often in close. Um, and I remember fielding on the offside uh, to him. Daniel Vittori was bowling, and he was just in such control that it was it was sort of almost pleasurable to watch him, the way he was going about things. And I thought, well, if he wants to hit me, he will. He'll just hit me whenever he wants. But he seems like a pretty good bloke, so I actually think I'm quite safe in here as well. Um, but he was uh, he was he was great to watch. Um, they they had Dravid at the time and, and, and Ganguly as well, so they were a, a very good team. Um, West Indies, when, when they played here, played against them. They had Lara, but he didn't, unfortunately, get many runs against us. So he uh, was a very young Brian Lara at that time. Um, but then in the modern era, you, you look at some of these guys, and they're all quite different, but you're, you're Steve Smith's... Um, you line him up with a Kane Williamson, and you watch the way they train and the way they go about things. It's, it's like a, I feel I feel absolutely privileged in the in the role that I'm in to be able to get as close as I do to some of these guys and 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 talk about, I guess talk about the game and talk about how we try and make them better. See, it's a great segue into your coaching, but just before we finish, the guys I've mentioned this a couple of times to these guys, and they they don't believe me that. Um, we were gluing pitches back in the sort of around that time when you were were playing. I, I think that yep. South Africa tests maybe the the game before you played was that one where it was just glued glued all and Cullen and scored that double hundred. And can you yep. confirm that? Because no one believes me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was up in Auckland, and I, I it was a it was a regular thing to I guess almost bring back. Um, pitches that have been used, especially in the past, but also with the one-day cricket to glue it to hold them together. Mm. So I, I remember uh, Canterbury, we played a, a Shell Trophy final versus Otago um, at, at Lancaster Park, and you turned out there, and seriously, if you put white paint down the middle, it would have looked like a runway. It was <laughs> it was grey mud that was glued, and, and we happened to score 777, um, in the final, and I, I, I was opening the batting at the time, and I scored 44, and I was the lowest score in the top nine. Jeez. So, uh, 
yeah, it was they they were they were some pretty flat wickets then. Yeah. And and so so we'll move into the the coaching stuff. You you pretty much went straight into sort of the full time coaching gig right after your playing career, right, with the magicians. Uh, yeah, I um, I actually started coaching when I was um, eighteen, I think. Yeah. So I came I came back from the Lord Scholarship, and uh, David Trist was in charge at Canterbury Cricket, um, and Nicky Turner uh, were the the two people who were sort of running the coaching, and and I I guess I, I started out coaching there, and and my love for it, and it started out going around schools um, and just teaching them the basics of cricket and people like Lorne Howe and myself and, and Katrina Withers and that we would, we would go around and teach at schools from nine to 12. And, and then uh, you'd after school, you'd go to a secondary school and take some, take some school teams and occasionally some club stuff as well. And it's where, where, where my, I guess, love of coaching started. And then it went on and off for a long, long period of time through, through the playing career and at, at times I, I took coaching a little bit more seriously and then but when I got the sniff of New Zealand I sort of put coaching on the back burner for a while until my cricket sort of finished or I worked out that I wasn't going to play for, for New Zealand again and, and started putting some energy I guess around about 2003, 2004 back into the to coaching a little bit more as well. Mm. And I, I mean, I remember, I think it was maybe when you were coaching the White Ferns, I remember talking to you about it and, and saying, I mean, your kids were a lot younger then and, and saying it would be a pretty tough on your family to, to go for the Black Caps role. I mean, was it a hard decision to kind of put yourself in the, the spotlight there? Um, look, uh, I mean, the, the White Ferns role was quite different because you're they, they, there weren't that many tours at the time. There was... Uh, you're probably only away for a period of time of about three weeks at a time, whereas a, a Black Caps tour, you could be away for two months. Um, so when when the Black Caps role sort of came around, then um, Rachel, my wife, and I sort of talked about it, and our kids uh, are both at, at secondary school now and, and sort of, I think, are at an age that they, they're a lot more independent and stuff as well, and so probably can can handle a little bit more. So it was certainly a family decision for me to put my name in the hat for for the Black Caps, Black Caps job at the time. Um, yeah, and but but they're, they're, they're very important, as I said right from the start. I mean, this, this period at home has been, it's been great for me just to really reconnect with them all again. And um, whilst there was always going to be this break, I mean, actually having it in lockdown in, in a... In a has been a nice in a way for me to, I guess, yeah, just reconnect with them as well. And Gary, what's it like coming into the Black Caps environment that you did? I guess often a coaching change happens after a bad run of form and the incumbent mm. coach gets sacked. In your case, though, you followed after a pretty successful stint by Mike Hessen. How, how did that work and what did it feel like coming into what was a settled environment? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and and you're right. I mean, the the coach is often the one that that gets sacked when things don't go to plan. But Hesed obviously um, he'd 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 run his course or felt he'd run his course after about six years, and um, it was a real shock at the time and a surprise to everyone. The team itself, I mean, it was a it was quite a balancing act for me to to go in, and I guess 
not push too hard with all my ideas because, as you said and, and rightly said, there was uh, it was a team that had been quite successful, had made a, a number of, I, I think, pretty big cultural and playing style changes through through Mike Hesson and, and Brendan McCullum, I guess, as well as captain. And then with uh, uh, quite a settled team, Kane had been has been captain for a while now, and then the likes of your Trent Bolts, Tim Southies, Ross Taylors, uh, Tom Latham's. It was a number of quite senior guys as well. So for me, it was I guess feeling my way, but also making sure that that I I, I had I guess some things that that were important to me that were still being brought into the team as well. And um, were there any particular things that you knew you were going to put into place straight away, or is there a period where you you do need to just sit back and and I guess assess the situation? Yeah, I mean it was they'd been successful. I was lucky. Uh, Hess had asked me to come in a couple of years earlier and and help out a little bit with some um, batting coaching as well, and so. I had a had a couple of small periods with the team uh, two years prior to it, a test series versus Pakistan and some ODIs versus uh, Bangladesh as well, and and managed to get to to know the guys a wee bit, which I think for me was quite important in the time that I wasn't someone that was completely new to them, um, but I still had some 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 ideas and how I thought we would grow. But the the danger is when when a new person goes into the team and people can sometimes be reluctant to change, especially if things have been successful, then you don't want to lose the team for a start. So for me, it was a real balancing act, as I said there, of trying to um, keep the team running and and, and and I think having some early wins and, and certainly the first tour to the UAE where we managed to beat Pakistan uh, in the Test Series was, was important, I guess, not just for, the, for me and in, in integrating into the team, but also maybe the team perhaps having some trust in, in my methods as well. So talking about that Pakistan series, how were your nerves in the fourth innings of that first test? <laughs> I still remember it uh, at lunchtime on the on the last day, and it was still in Pakistan's favour at the time. And I, and I remember saying to the guys, I said, look, at the end of the day, we, we can't always control the result, but we can control about how we go about it. And Cricket's a, a strange, strange game, and I've and I've played in so many games and been around so many games that you think you've won and you don't, or, or the other way around. So let's keep believing. And and we were lucky immediately in that 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 last session. Um, uh, Neil Wagner bowled beautifully, bowled a big long spell, and with Ajaz Patel they they bowled well. But I guess the closer it got, the the harder it was as well. But it was uh, it was a very very happy dressing room and. Uh, I guess the, the, the emotion was probably joy and relief more than anything that the, the hard work that we put in right through and then the ability to hang in in the test match was, I mean, it, it came to New Zealand's closest ever test victory and uh, it, was a, it was a very, very special occasion. I'm sure it'll come as no surprise to you that I absolutely loved watching that series. The spin was dominating everywhere and... and <laughs> Um, but I mean, how are you in general as a, a cricket watcher, as a as a coach? I mean, I've seen you writing in your notepad sometimes, or, or is that just the cryptic crossword that you've got there? No, no, that's. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to I tend to write things down that um, that I want to bring up with people in the future. So 
Uh, and, and if you watch throughout the day, you might have 12 or 13 things that you think, oh, I want to talk about that at some stage or um, bring that up with someone. And so it's just really reminding myself, otherwise I'd forget some things. So, um, and, and, and for me, I mean, I'm, I'm quite statistically minded as well and I, I, don't, I don't mind the odd stat and stuff. So it's just keeping me abreast, uh, I guess, of the game. But yeah, so that, that's the reason I'm writing things down. <laughs> Do you do you apply a lot of that statistical analysis and, and methodology to your coaching? Are you a big sort of advocate of, of leaning on stats to back up some of your approaches, or are you um, relying on gut feel and what the players are thinking out there on the ground as well? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, my, my, I guess, observations of the modern player is um, most of them are not that statistically driven. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've just got to be careful that I don't, I guess, overbear them um, with with the way I like seeing the game as well. And, and it's a combination of if there's something you think you've got that's really important and, and your stats can back it up, well, then I guess it makes it a, an easier conversation to have as well. But um, I think I think for me it's more go on what your gut says and then if you need the stats to back you up, then then do it. But I think sometimes players are also unaware of of what statistics and, and what you can get out of them as well and for me things like reviews and that then it just um i guess highlights and, and manages to uh, and it's not necessarily about highlighting deficiencies or anything but it can also be highlighting the strengths uh, in in their game as well as making sure that we are really clear on on how we want to use statistics but certainly from a um the scouting point of view of opposition as well, then then they're really instrumental in, in the way we go about just putting our packages together for the players. Yeah, I mean, there's been a proliferation of advanced stats and slugging percentages and real plus minus mm. and all those sorts of things in American sport. Do you think we're likely to see more abstract or advanced analytics become part of the everyday cricket vernacular in the next sort of five to ten years? I think they already are in some ways, but I just don't know if uh, many of the commentators and stuff that are on actually understand what what, what goes on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in terms of selection and stuff for us, then um, we we have our own uh, guy Paul Warren at, at New Zealand Cricket who who provides um, the statistical analysis that we want, and and we can we can go back over people's history and things like that, but. It's pretty uh, in depth, and when every ball is now on TV that that's basically bowled in international cricket, then mm-hmm. um, there's nowhere to hide with it either. So we 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 use a few things that I I'm guessing other people won't use, and probably other countries will use th- use things that we don't use uh, as well. And um, but the more that some of these T20 leagues and that that are, go on around the world, I think it's getting harder and harder to to hide if there's any secrets that are out there. I'm not sure there's any secrets, but, but I guess mm. as a coach, you you measure things in, in ways that make sense to you as well. And, and, and yeah, so measuring players, I think, is important, certainly when it comes to contracting and stuff as well. That, you mentioned that you know, the, the proliferation of T20 and franchise cricket becoming sort of players are more of a known quantity. Does that relationship between players make it easier for you preparing for and scouting for opposition, knowing that maybe one or two of your guys have played with or played against guys in other leagues around the world? Yeah, well, one of the first things we'll do when we get together is uh, is sit down with the guys and and ask them right who's played with with 
whoever it is that you're talking about and, and you'll have one or two generally in, in your squad that have, have either played with them in the last couple of years with, with either the IPL or the Big Bash or the English League or whatever it is, the, the Caribbean League. So there's, there's, there's enough guys from New Zealand who have played in these leagues now that we can actually get some information. But then, then we also have the data and the statistics there that, that will also back up the, um, some of the plans that we want to have. And uh, one of the things that I, I think is important is for, for New Zealand anyway, um, we're, we're really measured on, on how we go through World Cup sort of phases and periods. So mm. for us, everything in between is, is trying to, to work out, I guess, uh, plans, game plans, um, scouting opposition leading into the to the World Cup. So um, whilst I know all, all punters out there want us to win every game, and, and certainly we go in trying to win every game, at times mm. we're, we're trying to shape our thinking for what the event further down the line might look like as well. So it's sort of having that big picture sort of thinking and vision as well. Steady, we'll, we'll move. Um, we obviously do have to talk about the World Cup. A few of us on this don't like to talk about that so much, but um, <laughs> we will have to talk about that in a minute. But um, just before we get to that, I just wanted to touch on um, sort of the tragic events that happened in Christchurch. You know, just before that that Bangladesh Test. I mean, sport obviously mm. takes a, a real backseat in that moment. Um, I mean, Rickett and Cricket Club. I mean, lost a, a really good man, John, on that day. And I mean, you never expect something like that to happen. At any point, but what what was it like for you personally and, and the squad and, and probably the Canterbury guys in particular? Because I imagine you're all trying to make sure your families are okay, and and then you're trying to figure out what's happening with that game in a few days' time. Yeah, uh, well, it was the next day actually. Um, at the time, I was actually uh, in I was in the Canterbury cricket offices with with uh, Gavin Larson and Bob Carter uh, and Kane Williamson, and we were selecting the World Cup squad at that very time that it happened. Jeez. So I'll certainly remember it for a long time. My my children are both in at, at school in, in town, and, and my daughter's um, high school is three or 400 metres down the road from, from the mosque and the shooting. So, yeah, I guess the first thing is making sure the families and they are, are safe and I guess, yeah, being in Canterbury and Christchurch and some of the things that have happened here recently, you take that, you take the earthquakes uh, mm-hmm. that happened. There's, there's been a, a lot of resilience has had to be had to be built up. But, I mean, it was a tragic event. Um, a number of the Canterbury guys that were here went um, and met with some of the Muslim leaders and, and we they donated uh, some of their match fee and stuff as well towards them, which was also mm-hmm. quite nice, I guess, to, to get close and... Uh, in, a, in a funny way, I mean, something tragic like that, I think, brought our, our whole country closer as well. And uh, I certainly saw a, um, a, a different side of Kiwis in that after after it, a warmer, more compassionate side as well, I think, um, after such tragic events. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't say it much better than that. Um, we'll move on to the, to the World Cup then. I mean... You know, we won't relitigate the whole thing, but I mean, I'm sort of keen more to talk about that India semi. I mean, what were you guys thinking when it rained on that first day? I mean, how, you know, what were the confidence levels like in the dressing room there? Yeah, um, we realised we might have been under par, but not by that much. The the wicket was tough, and we we knew that at the start. And you sort of listen to a bit of the commentary, and where they the teams have been writing us off. Um, 
pretty much the whole time. But we, we felt if we could fight through and, and do okay that next morning and get a, get somewhere around about 2.30 to 2.40, that it was tough enough that with a, a couple of earlier wicket, early wickets, you were you were always in the game. And I guess when, um, when Trent Bolton and Matt Henry bowled as they did with that new ball spell and we had them, I think, four down after 10 overs... Um, it was uh, it was an amazing um, atmosphere in that as well, and uh, sort of gave a lot of belief to the team. And that it was almost ours there to lose. And Dhoni and, and Jadeja played played beautifully and sort of got them back into the game. But um, yeah, I mean, to, the guys hung on, and, and there was a lot of there was a lot of desire there. And we'd come off three losses uh, as well, and we we played. Still played pretty well against Pakistan, but lost and lost in the last over. It could have gone. It could have gone the other way. The the scoreboard probably doesn't show that much, but we always felt though that was a lot closer than what we thought. And then we we didn't play very well against Aussie at Lords and and England at, at Durham as well prior to that. So we had something to prove. And there's a bit of talk about us just scraping into the semis, but we talked about it right from the very very start of the tournament that. Um, when we when we play teams and if we do have the the chance to really bury teams that we make sure we did it and the, and mm. sort of go back to the first game of the tournament we played we played Sri Lanka um, at Cardiff and and bowled them out for 115 or 120 or something like that and Colin Munro and and Martin Guptill got it in about 13 14 overs and and that was really important to us that we that we knew that but it also on the on the flip side of that was if we were getting beaten, we had to make sure that we fought to the end as well because the net run rate we thought was going to be influential in the tournament and it was in the end. You mentioned in that India game, the commentators potentially saying there was yeah a little bit below par. Do you actually have the commentary on in the in the dressing room and, and do you ever do you ever make any not necessarily decisions, but do you ever factor in what someone's saying in the commentary box and go, well, actually, yeah, they've got a point there that we've not not thought of yeah sometimes um so generally the the commentary is down but they've got those little transistor things that sit on your ears at times as well um so you can hear you can get different opinions from from people as well and look let's not let's not forget there's some been on that commentary team there's some amazing uh brains and that that have been involved in cricket for, for long long periods of time so it'd be stupid of us not to not to certainly listen or, or consider anyway, but it's only a small consideration. But there are always there's always something at times that that might pop up. You think, oh, you haven't thought about that. But at the end of the day, I mean, as coaches, once once the game starts, my my view is it's generally up to the players. Then I mean, I I can influence through conversations with with people and breaks and things like that, but. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not a uh, coach who, who throws notes or anything out there. I mean, who's to say my notes are right anyway, or my, my opinions right over anyone else's? So, but it, but it does make you think about, okay, is there a different way that we, we could skin this cat? Steady. I mean, you know, everyone knows obviously what's happened in the final. But I, I remember in the aftermath of the tournament, you, you made a few comments about sharing the trophy. Do you still feel like that's, you know? the best way to decide a tournament. I mean, as heartbreaking as it was, obviously for you guys and, and for, for us as fans, part of me feels like you have to have a winner, otherwise it might feel like no one's won. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good point. Um, I don't know how soon uh, I was asked that afterwards, Stewie, so mm-hmm. um, it might have been immediately I, I was feeling like that. But 
I guess yeah. my my immediate emotions at the time were, we've gone through a, a full day here. We've then tried a, a second way to separate it, and we still can't. So it feels a bit odd that um, that the the teams winning because they hit more boundaries. Now I get okay. that for T20 cricket. Um, you could argue we were the more skillful team because we we hit a lot more ones on the day. Um, so we knew that we knew what the rules were though, and and we knew we were a run short in the end. So we we take that on on the chin. But I guess in in such a an important competition like like a World Cup. It sort of uh, felt like we were robbed as well. Um, certainly robbed of the opportunity to complete the match um, and get a get a winner out of it, and and what might be considered a more fair way. And look, you've you've seen what the ICC's done since. So it will be multiple uh, super overs from now on to mm-hmm. to decide a winner. But um, I guess we will uh, always be remembered as. As, as that team that, that just missed out in that final, and that's it's pretty tough to take still. I mean, it was it was there for our taking as well. So there's a lot of other factors that went on um, throughout the game, and uh, I guess as a coach, you you look back and you can uh, I, I could think 50 things that you could change on that day that would do it. But if you you start doing that too often, then you never sleep and you become a nervous wreck as well. So it's about I think for us accepting accepting what ha- has happened. Um, and now we try and move on and, and we learn from those those moments as well. And you may have detected from my accent, Gary, I, I'm, I'm from the UK, from England originally. <laughs> um, so look, I, no, look, I, I, I actually, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go quite that far. But um, look, I, I actually watched the game with uh, with Lippy and, and, and Raj, actually. Um, and look, I think on reflection, there, there was something a little bit hollow, I guess, about that victory. There was an immediate elation, I think, as an Englishman, particularly because it had been a long time coming for us to yeah to win a, um, a 50 mm. over World Cup um, for sure. I did want to pick up just on the point you make about the, the rules. And you said, you, you know, we knew the rules. When did you actually start to become aware of that fact that it was going to come down to boundaries? Were you going out with a, you know, a set plan in that super over and saying, well, actually, we, you know, we absolutely need to nail this because. England are well ahead on the boundary count. When do you when do you know those kind of ridiculously minute details of, of a game? We we knew when the super over started what the factors of the rules were and that boundaries, if it was a tied match, um, would would be to the team that's hit the most. And we also knew that that they'd hit the most simply because our analyst was there straight away, and and I take enough notes that I I knew that anyway. So. Um, yeah, so that I guess, yeah, it was it was definitely part of the the factor is that we need to get one more run than them that that a draw is or a tie is not um, good enough in this uh, situation for us. Gary, let's move on to this summer, two one as a as a series result against England, Australia and India. Two out of three's got to leave you feeling pretty pleased with how the summer's gone as a whole in terms of results in Test cricket. Um, yes and no, uh, I think. Australia left a little bit of hollowness the that we that we didn't play better than what we did and I guess being so close to Australia I guess in proximity and that you would hope that we understand them better but we our record there is is not that good um, and but neither are a lot of other countries around the world and it is one of the toughest places I think to go and 
and win. It's, it's a little bit like going to India and, and trying to win over there. So that was disappointing. But to beat England here, and there's been a, I, I, I noticed in the media there's a little bit made of, uh, oh, it's not 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 a um, Test Championship match, and why are they playing this? It was it was a Test cricket to our guys, and, and every every single time you go out there, a Test match is an important match, and our guys played played really well, and we fought back and. BJ's Watling's double hundred um, in that match um, was was amazing, um, and and England I guess barred James Anderson. They they had their their best players out here, and it was for us it was a it was a great match. And then I guess to finish the way we did against India as well, albeit they were wickets that uh, definitely suited us. They were on the greener side, but. When you saw, uh, I guess, the way that that our bowlers bowled, and and you had a debutante like uh, Kyle Jameson came in as well and and performed the way he did was really really special to see, and and we scored enough runs and we were we were courageous enough and fought hard enough with um, with our with our batsmen as well that we we obviously scored enough runs against India as well. But to play a, a summer like we did uh, when you have, as you say, England, Australia, and India, and the arguably the three biggest nations in the world and to to play pretty well overall was 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 really exciting for us but the I guess is just a little bit of a bit of taste after that Australian test series is there something about the Australian side that makes them such a, a tough matchup for New Zealand yeah they're good <laughs> um, <laughs> they're, they're just they're a very good team. I mean, they we, you put Smith and Warner back in, and, and India didn't face them the year before, but they're two world-class players. Uh, Laba Shane has, has come on in leaps and bounds the last 12 months, and um, Stark, Hazelwood, uh, Cummins, and, and possibly the best spinner in the world in Lyon make them a really formidable um, team, and um, they they're going to be a good team for a, for a while to come. Still, I think to for for any team in the world to beat them, especially in their home conditions, is they're going to have to play very very well. Speaking of leaps and bounds, what's it like for you as a coach when you see new players come in and take their opportunity? I'm thinking of Tom Blundell's um, debut at the top of the order, or, or you know, start of his career at the top of the order. You mentioned Jamison earlier. Do you feel like a sense of pride when those guys come in and really perform? very well and 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 get their test careers off to really good starts yeah definitely um definitely feel pride and 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 but not just for them i feel pride for every every one of our players when they when they do out do well out there because you see how hard and and the work that they put into it um it's 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 not easy being an international cricketer and and I think sometimes people think uh, they think of uh, the the things that come with it, the hotels and travel and stuff like that. But when you're away for long, long periods, it can actually be times where you can get quite isolated as well. So when you when you get success, you want to you do want to um, I guess celebrate that and celebrate the good times you have. And Kyle Jameson, as you said, coming in making the most of that. Tom Blundell and the way that he played at the top, I guess, was. Uh, something that, that the other coaches and I have talked about was just learning to trust what we're seeing because Tom's been a bit of a travelling 12th man for a while and but we've seen him really, really develop his game in the nets and, and for us it was a little bit of a risk but one we thought that was worth taking at the time and his fourth innings 100 at uh, at the MCG was, was something I, I will never, ever forget. The discipline that he showed against the world-class attack was was a really, really special innings. 
We were commenting watching Tom both in Australia and again back playing India, just how good he was at judging how much he needed to attack, and particularly with his back foot play. Is that something that you really see as something that he can take to the next level and become a real world-class opening batsman for a period of time to come? Yeah, I think uh, a little bit will depend on on where he goes with his with his keeping as well. So um, BJ Watling's obviously been in our team and has been for a long time, but I think um, if you logically look at it, Tom Blundell's probably uh, an heir apparent to to BJ as well, and I think it's a, a, a tough tough ask to to open the batting and, and keep, and, and probably too tough. So I think. Um, in, in the longer term, then I think Tom's likely to end up back in the in that number six position or somewhere around there. But I think what he's done in, in opening now, for us, is a little bit strategic as well. And again, facing the new ball is that Tom's generally a pretty free-scoring sort of batsman that hopefully he's improved his skills that when he comes back into the middle order, he can then really, really control the way that BJ does now, batting with the tail, tail as well and being able to man- manipulate. But... He's certainly taken um, all opportunities that, that have been thrown in front of him, and that's that's really, really pleasing, I guess, from me, from a coaching and, and from a selectorial point of view. You must be really pleased with the depth that you're starting to build in that New Zealand squad. That bowling unit's got lots of depth to it now. There's lots of guys ready to fill that all-rounder position, although Colin de Gronholm's done a fantastic job at test level, and you mentioned Tom Blundell as an heir apparent to Watling. You must be really pleased with the amount of depth that you're starting to build in that New Zealand squad, particularly in the test side. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the last five or six years under Hess and and, and, in the last year and a half with me, then there's been some really important victories that we've had and we've shown that we can uh, generally compete with with everyone in the world. And you don't get it right all the time. and we know that we have to play very, very well against all, all countries to get the results that we want. But um, when, when it now comes to, to selecting and looking at even New Zealand A teams, those teams are becoming tougher and tougher to, to select. And that shows, I think, that New Zealand cricket on the whole is in, is in reasonable heart. And there's a lot of good things happening below this as well. And I think the more that we can get New Zealand A series and um, play get get exposure to our, our guys that are just below the test level then the better it is as well for them and I think the healthier um, the healthier we will be is the more competition we can create from within. Fantastic. I did want to ask that that most recent game of cricket that we saw before this big break Australia against New Zealand at the SCG without fans was that as strange for you as a coach as it was for us watching on the telly? Yeah, it was. Um, if I'm honest, I, uh, I'm not sure that either team was really convinced that, that we should have been playing the match. Uh, and I, we certainly got that sense from the, from the Aussie guys as well. But yeah, you got to, I guess, when there's a big crowd there, you, you get wrapped up in the emotion and, and, the, and the crowd and the noise that goes on. So yeah, everything could be heard uh, <laughs> all around the ground. And it was, it was certainly a, a, an odd occasion. And but it is something that we might have to get used to. Who knows what's going to happen with this uh, this virus and the steps that are taken by countries that, to make sure that we get cricket going again. So it may not be the last time, yet that's something I guess we'll have to face further down the track. Yeah, I mean, looking forward, if we can, let's hope that the World T20 tournament gets, uh, you know, the go-ahead pre-Christmas. 
how do you rate New Zealand's chances in that tournament? What are your own expectations that you guys will set for yourself going into that World T20 Cup? I think with uh, all the tournament-based things, the the first thing you're trying to work out is where are the uh, where do you need to be to to actually qualify for the the tournaments. And even going back to the the World Cup, we knew new top four was where we wanted to be. We saw no no advantage whether you're ranked one, two, three, or four. You still had to win two games after that. And I think that'd be no difference different for us going into a T20 World Cup. We would we will want to uh, make their semi-finals, and then anything can happen after that. But also know from the uh, the draw, I've seen that the pool we're in is a very, very tough pool as well. So we carry Pakistan, who are currently the um, the, the number one ranked team in the world in, in T20 cricket, along with uh, West Indies, who are a very, very dangerous team in Australia in our pool as well. So oh, wow. We're going to have to win uh, two of those three games and, and then not get tipped up by, by some of the other sides as well. So we're going to have to play well, but the the shorter the game, the more that one person can influence a game as well. And um, I think in a, in a strange way, the the matches that we had against India when we lost 5-0 in, the, um, uh, in those games, but we actually had, I think, uh, three of the games went to the last ball uh, will, will be really good for us in the long run, and, mm. and having that closeness of competition will. Whilst you want to get over the line, uh, and we didn't, and some that we should have, I think we will certainly learn from those occasions. We took away as a group from that women's uh, World Cup tournament that spin played a big part in that tournament. What sort of players do you think are going to be influential on Australian grounds in the men's version of the event in the back end of the year? Uh, I think it'll depend a little bit just on on which grounds you're at, and I think in, across your squad of 15, you, you'll want to have uh, bases covered for spin and for for pace bowlers, and, and having your your options that you can shift shift your team around a wee bit depending on the pitch conditions um, uh, and and who you're playing against as well, and what their preferences are. So, uh, I certainly think with our squad that we will try and select. A, about as balanced a squad as we can from a bowling perspective. Batting-wise, certainly some of those big grounds like the MCG and that you can't always just bash your way to, to a score that you want. You actually need to have much more, I guess, refined skills than that. So I think I think having people that are in form that uh, can manipulate the ball will be really, really important. Steady, um, we have a bit of a, a tradition here where we have a little quick fire round and you've been really generous with your time, but just um, before we, we get into that, the, the sort of COVID-19 stuff, I mean, how worrying is it for you? And I guess personally in a, in a job sense, but also like for New Zealand cricket, I mean, we've seen the New Zealand, uh, the Australian financial stuff at the moment, financial stuff across, you know, the whole world is, is huge for everyone. I think one of the things that we are lucky with in New Zealand right now um, is we had India come last year and India are, are a big factor, I guess, in terms of TV rights and the, the money that they bring through those into the game. And um, my understanding is that perhaps because of that, we're in perhaps placed in better positions than, than other teams. But mm-hmm. look, I mean, I'm an international coach and, and, and we want to get back playing cricket as, as soon as we can. But from my perspective, that was certainly we can't do that at the um, detriment of health for, for anyone and making sure that we, I guess, get get this virus cured or, or certainly on top of things all around the world is, is of the utmost importance. But 
I think the way uh, our government's handled it has been has been very good. I think the uh, ability to try and certainly eradicate it and wipe out as much of it as we can is 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 going to allow the economy and also sport to then prosper in, in the near future. And I think we're going to be ahead of other places around the world in, in being able to do that with um, with some security and safety in mind that, that we're, we're on top of this still. Awesome. Well, Gary, as Lippy mentioned, we like to finish things off with a little bit of a quick fire round. We always give yep. everyone fair warning as well that one of the questions later down this little list is the best sledge you've ever been either a part of or heard and um, we don't come up with very many people that offer anything up so we'll give you some thinking time on the best uh, best sledge because we want to write our own book on this at some point but we'll start okay. off with a nice easy one what's your favorite innings that you ever played oh um hmm. uh, probably I think the 78 I scored uh, versus India in, in Ahmedabad was was one of my my most favourite ones because it, one I wasn't expected to play, and two the the quality of the the players they had. Toughest bowler you've ever faced? Uh, there, there's many many ones, and they're all at uh, at different levels. But um, oh, Anil Kumble as a spinner, and I think uh, hard to go past Alan Donald as a as a pace bowler. Any bowler that you you felt you had in your pocket, you were always seeing it like a beach ball. <laughs> Not really. No, um, I was never that good. I always had to work a bit harder for it. So um, no, I, I tried to just just play as well as I could against everyone. I, I can't remember anyone that I thought like that. Certainly oh, not on, you in the nets. He, he was gonna, unplayable. You got to throw someone from Saints under the bus, you don't you? <laughs> 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 no, no, I, I can't. I, I never found it that easy to bet. <laughs> who's uh, who's the most talented team uh, teammate you ever played with? Oh, there's a there's a number of guys I played with that, that played very well internationally, and the likes of uh, a Chris Cairns could could change the game with with bat or ball. Um, guys like Nathan Astle were extremely um, skilled as well, and yeah. Those guys, I think, were were probably ones that that had it, just had that natural ability over over others. In terms of opposition coaches, who do you most enjoy catching up with for a beer and, and a yarn about cricket afterwards? Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't happen that often, but um, uh, I know after the Australian series and went and, and caught up with Justin Langer there for a while. Um, I my first tour I spent a little bit of time talking with Mickey Arthur as well and, and he, he's really really good value. He's been around the international scene for a long a long time. But um that that'd be the only two at, at this stage that really sort of sat down and had a yarn with. And particularly from a coaching perspective, what's been your favourite win do you think so far? Mm. Mm, tough. Um the World Cup semi will will stand out. Uh, that was that was an amazing game in Manchester. Um, well, I, I love everyone. I certainly like it better than losing. Um, but I, I think also the uh, that that first Test win was really really special as well. Um, to win to have the New Zealand's closest victory by by four runs, and um, that was in my first Test match as well. In charge was was pretty special. 
Awesome. And before we ask you to, I guess, sum up the proudest moment in your career so far, we will come back to that sledge. So have you, have you got a, a story you can tell us, something that, you know, we might not have heard on the grapevine of urban sledging myths? Uh, the most sledging I think I ever got was from the South Africans uh, when I when I played them. And two things I, I remember. Um, my second test, I think it was, playing up at the Basin Reserve, um, I'd, we were in trouble. We were about 40 for three, and I, I batted for about four hours that day. Chris Harris and I batted for a long time, and I think I got 60-odd and was walking off, and I, I went out with the second new ball, and Klusman walked, walked past me, and and I'd fought like, well, pretty good fighting for me anyway. <laughs> and he said, Gary, that is the worst effing innings I have ever seen in this cricket. <laughs> And another one from, it was actually Klusner as well. I was actually fielding under the lid. And you don't often get sledged when you're, when you're fielding, but he, he was batting facing Vittori, and he turned around and he looked at me and he said, Gary, he said, you stay low, otherwise I'll take your effing head off here. <laughs> Klusner sounds brilliant. Yeah, yeah, he, he was. He was into it. <laughs> yeah. And um, look, Gary, yeah, you've been so generous with your, your time here. We've really loved this chat. Maybe we can finish up with, with the proudest moment of your, your career so far. Oh, it's tough. Um, I, I'm not sure that I have one thing that particularly stands out, um, but I've been lucky enough to play for my country, which I'm extremely proud of. Um, and I've also been lucky enough to be involved in, in four World Cup finals, so three with the women and and one with New Zealand, and, and from a coaching perspective, I, I don't think there's anything better than that in trying to help, I guess, navigate and guide a team towards that ultimate victory. And I guess, unfortunately for me, it hasn't quite quite happened that yet, so forever a bridesmaid at the moment, but um, but we'll get there. Oh, look, yeah, no, thank you very much, Steve. It's been a, a real pleasure for us to, to just sit back, and, and particularly for me to, to sit back and think about those early days and... and get to mention record on a podcast again it's been great so yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks very great. much for, for your time great guys thanks for having me